Hello listeners, welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks to Matt McKeever for sponsoring Explore FI Canada. Matt is a Canadian investor, CPA, entrepreneur and real estate expert who achieved fire at age 31. Do us a favor and check out his YouTube channel by searching Matt McKeever or using the link in our show notes. Hi, Chrissy. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> right. Welcome, listeners. It is Explorify Canada again. I am the money mechanic. And as usual, Chrissy is with me. Hi, everyone. I am doing well here in Vancouver. It's sunny again. <laughs> you know what? I wasn't going to talk about the weather today. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is the problem is like, we're actually always recording like maybe a week or a few weeks before this release, right? But uh, yeah, I, I actually had a text started to my sister in Ontario today. And then I stopped it because I think it, it's a we do that from the West Coast and it's rude. But I also thought, you know what, everybody's still kind of like locked at home. So let's just not even talk about what's going on outside if we're outside. It is but. rude. <laughs> It was a nice day. Speaking of the weather, we don't want to pick on him too much, but we have a guest joining us today on the show, and we're going to dive into his fire journey and uh, how he got there and how real estate played a part in that. So welcome to Explorify Canada, Eric. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us. We are always interested in hearing stories about people that are, this should be like air quotes, right? You are fire, but apparently you work too much. So tell us a little bit about how you got to be fire, because I think that's an interesting place to start. A little bit of your background for the listeners. For sure. But before I jump into it, um, apparently I had to hire a business mindset coach to tell me that I work too much. <laughs> <laughs> to say I need to reprioritize my life and then everything to be more in harmony so then I can do even more and accomplish more in life. So much for that. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, the question uh, about how I got to fire, it's, it's interesting because um, I had this vision and uh, that, you know, when I was in university, I did computer science and I picked that uh, discipline because I wanted to, to be able to work from a laptop. I know it sounds super exciting. You know, most people are thinking about cool stuff. I didn't have crazy dreams other than I thought it'd be cool to maybe work for Apple or Google one day. And then just, I really want to work from my laptop so I can work on the beach. So that was the only vision, right? And I, and I hung out onto that vision and then start working towards um, different opportunities. Ended up able to consult for a few companies uh, using my tech background. Um, then got into um, marketing naturally because of technology. People are asking me to, uh, with the web that was taken off, right? People are asking me to build websites, to do SEO, and then to run ads and, you know, all that kind of things. And and once you've been labeled as a quote-unquote computer guy, it's like everything computer, you know, let's yeah. go you, right? So um, that was a brand that was kind of established. And then everybody just started reaching out to me and and I picked up. I got lucky that uh, one client um, that I had ended up approaching me before I even graduated and say, hey, can you, um, I'm really interested in what you're doing. And then I don't want to be your client because you charge too much. So I want to <laughs> hire you instead. I'm like, okay, let's talk. So we, we started talking and then he owns a, a home decor business. So if you guys remember, and this was about, boy, 10 plus years ago. 
where there was a craze, a huge fad that all of a sudden people start putting like different like words on their wall, like wall huh. stickers, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Vinyl lettering. Vinyl lettering. Yes, okay. Chrissy knows. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so we were actually the number two. I don't know if we actually got to number one spot, but we were the number two company in Canada. Wow.、Um, we own mostly the the West Coast, like BC, Alberta, a little bit of Saskatchewan market, and few Ontario stores. And then there was a competitor out east that owned mostly the businesses out east, and so I was mainly helping them scale the businesses, of course, on the marketing side, and、um, did really well because I rolled that that fad right. It was just taken off like crazy, and when I signed the contract with the, the owner, was you know it's like, hey, you fresh out of school, so this is how much you should be paid for. I'm like, sure, that's why you think so, but I want to make sure I had. A bonus, com,、uh, kind of a commission, you know, clause in place for just incentivize me, and they're like, "Hey, that's fine. That sounds good because we're nowhere near that number, <laughs> so、yeah. we're happy to to give you that, right?" So I got that done, and then we were able to double the company in about three years,、uh, a little over three years.、Uh, so as you can imagine, my my pay was more than doubled in that time frame as well. So that worked out really well. To the point where、um, I was, I was earning a de- really decent income, right? And then、uh, there, another opportunity came along that the guy that kind of saw what I've done, and he's like, "Hey, I, I want to hire you to do the exact same thing for my company. I'm wanting to grow. You know, I, I, I love your skill set." So I'm like, "Great, same thing. Let's talk. You know, how to like compensate me."、Uh, so now I have my little bit higher, much or actually much higher starting wage, but again, still. Put the commission clause in place, and、uh, this was a business in the preparedness industry. So I don't know how much you guys know that industry,、um, but that industry like, is it、uh, stuff for preppers?、Uh, part of it.、Okay. So we also sell to government agencies. We also sell to preppers, right? That's, okay, that's one of the、okay. demographics. And if our listeners don't know what preppers are. <laughs> they're, they're, that's like the cans of food in the in the、yeah. bunker, isn't it? That's, I'm picturing like the Michigan Min, Min, Minotia, whatever, right? Like, yeah, lots of toilet paper, lots of cans, freeze dried food, that kind of thing. Bunkers. Yeah. Hey, I've、yeah. got an earthquake preparedness kit here, so I've got some preparations. Yeah,、Perfect. we all should. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, and and it's good to be prepared, right? Yeah. yeah.、Um, but yeah. as you guys can imagine, it's very cyclical. Right. For some、mm. reason, people don't think about preparedness when they need to prepare. Of course, they only think of about、course. it during time of crisis.、Mm. Yeah. Well, and this is just a pure dumb luck. Like you know, we only get a few of these chances in our lives. So you know, if anybody's listening to this, I would say, ride those waves. <laughs> just ride them because <laughs> if you know you're given these opportunities, take advantage of it. And that's exactly what happened. I joined the company right before the financial crisis. Wow. So as you can imagine, right. People are freaking out, thinking about、mm. everything's going down. You know, mortgages are defaulting, and people are wanting to prepare. So we are ourselves, in effect,、uh, doubled in a year and a half. Wow! So can I just clarify? So you were with the first company doing this, the vinyl decals for people to d- decorate with, and、Correct. this is a separate individual who approached you to do this、um, preparedness marketing. Correct. So、okay. both of them are different business owners, small businesses, and in the complete different industry.、Right? Okay. Wow.、Um, and I was specialized in running the online marketing、um, or their marketing department.、Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then you left the first job and then moved to this one. You weren't doing、Correct. both at the same time. Okay. 
There was a there was a transition phase about six months, and Got then it. yeah, okay. to make it happen, just to smooth things over for both sides. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, so then the t- second company kicks in. Towards the end, you know, it was it was an emotional moment. Like the owner basically just you know they're great, awesome people. They they do a crying and say, "Hey, Eric, you're making more than we are. <laughs> we, <laughs> we legitimately can't. You know, we, you're worth every dime, right? However, we just can't." do this and and i'm like i understand right you know it's a business decision i totally respect that uh so i basically offered to cut my my time in half to reduce the amount of pay that i was taking in and then move that forward to eventually they were at a position to sell the company and i have helped consulted a little bit on how to structure a business to sell as well um, and so basically in a way i ended up working myself out of a job right um, but Great story, great experience. You know, I yeah. wouldn't trade it for anything else. So how much of the skills that you use on the job would you say were from school? And how much did you just learn? It, it sounds like you keep pivoting and pivoting. <laughs> Are you just picking up these skills as you go? I'm so glad you asked that because, and, and for anybody listening to this, we did not plan this. Yeah. <laughs> she, no, it doesn't. <laughs> literally picked that up. So um, this is something that I am so passionate about, especially with entrepreneurs, is learn how to pivot I actually gave a TEDx talk on the very same topic on this concept. So um, anybody, you know, welcome to look it up. Um, specifically I'm going to look it about, up. I didn't know you had one. Yeah. yeah. We'll put cool. it in the show notes. Cool. <laughs> it's actually encouraging people to say, or to not to say, don't give up. And the reason is certain times, certain life, you know, if you get given the opportunities, learn to pivot because there's great opportunities ahead. So, so that, yeah, that's how it got me into that industry. And then I left because of that circumstance. And, uh, and there was another company I got involved because of the connection in that company introduced me to the freeze-dried food com- uh, industry, right? So oh, okay. um, I was selling for this company that sells in, the US, uh, in Canada. And then their suppliers that they're buying it from um, were transitioning their business model to start accepting distributors. Um, like uh, they're, You're doing like a home party direct sales model. So I was introduced to them. It's like, great, you know, I already sell this for this company in Canada. Now I have this opportunity to sell this Canada and U.S., right, by um, become a distributor. So I took on the opportunity and then got into that industry and ended up selling so many canned foods, so many <laughs> mushrooms and peaches <laughs> and peas and corns that <laughs> you wouldn't believe. Um, I've... One of the favorite stories I ever gotten was this guy just randomly called me from one of my websites and just said, hey, I want to buy $16,000 worth of beef. Oh, and, yeah? And you, you got to think about that, right? It's like most of my customers buy like, you know, two dollars $300 worth of food because that's all you need to like store a little bit, right? You yeah. buy a little bit more. Yeah. You get this call, I'm just like, you're yanking <laughs> my chains, right? Like seriously, you cannot yeah. be serious. So... <laughs> I didn't take it seriously, and I and it took me a few times talking to him. It's like, no, this guy's legit. Like he is, like convinced that he need this, right? And and it's great, and he wants to be prepared. So um, worked with him, and then that was a great order, and and loved it. So that guy's what, probably got he's probably got like a whole beef jerky line now that we can buy into. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I wish I can track him down. I really want to visit him one day. One day, because I'm just like, dude, like, what did you do with your food? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm coming over for dinner. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so with all this entrepreneurial experience, 
how did that help you prepare for kind of the next phase where you started? Because I, I kind of gather you started working more for yourself. You'd done the, the work for these other companies. How did that turn out that you kind of created your own sort of empire as it, as it were? Yeah, I maybe wouldn't call it empire. Oh, come um, on. <laughs> it's a small it's a small operation, but I've, I I have something big I'm working towards for sure. Mm-hmm. Um so uh one thing that you asked was very interesting for me is it's all about actually if you don't mind clarifying that question cuz I yeah. My, yeah. I just was listening to your stories of these starting off with a small companies and I I can relate a little bit because I've worked for quite a few small companies and you get into the nuts and bolts of the business and it, it's a great learning experience as Chrissy highlighted and I'm just wondering how all those all that learning experience did you transition it into your own entrepreneurial ventures and what did those look like on this journey Thank you okay yeah so that's a great great point um, one thing that I uh, I'm not a natural born entrepreneur. I came from a family that's very, very risk averse. Both of my parents are, I mean, I grew up in Taiwan. So, you know, you talk about a, a Chinese Asian heritage that's very conservative, right? Like everything they, they teach me is go get a job, go to school, get a job. When I told them I want to quit school to do to do my businesses, they freaked out, right? Yeah, yeah. My dad made me promise to say, hey, please just, just get a degree. I don't care what you do. Just get that piece <laughs> of paper. And I never use that piece of paper, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but one thing I always learned is risk management, right? So what that concept of being able to be careful. So that's why I purposely, when I first graduated, I didn't want to just go do my own thing, even though sounds like, you know, I was pursuing some of my entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to take 100% risk, right? So I wanted to hedge my bets by saying, hey, I'll work for somebody and then use the resources that's provided to me and then say, let's go figure out how to do marketing for this industry. Let's yep. test out how to do SEO, right? And and um, pay ads, right? I don't want to go too technical about these terms, but all these yeah. different techniques. And then pivot and apply the same thing to a different industry. And then once I get enough of these experiences built up, that's what ended up resulting in me starting a, a marketing company. It was because of that, right? And it's interesting. It's just understanding all of these skill set. Um, the things that people get hang up on is always about what you learned. Uh, what I've realized nowadays is actually not so much about what you learned. It's about what the mentality that you gain from each experiences that you have acquired, right? And then yep. that's transferable because that's universal. Yep. The technical mm-hmm. skills, you can learn that. You can hire people to replace you to do all of those things. And then they change too, right? From time to time, these, these te- not technology change, these marketing skills, mm-hmm. uh, they all change. But the mindset never change. And that's something that I really wish I learned that sooner. Um, I kind of have to acquire that along the way to realize every step of the way I have to elevate my thinking. Otherwise, I get restricted on the field I was playing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, from your from the fire point of view, while you were working those jobs and working your way up in the pay scale, did you have an eye on the prize? Did you have a goal or a target at that time? Or was it kind of just built up on you and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm making some pretty good money here. Did you make wise investment decisions during that time? Um, we'll get into a little bit of your, your real estate business as well here. What did that, as you were progressing, because I think a lot of people that are on this journey to FI, some people set like really aggressive targets and are, are shooting for those. Others are, have set like a slower FI type pace. You know, it's a totally individual journey for sure. 
it sounds like you were working super hard. You're getting these, these good raises and things like that. Did you have like an, an end game, a goal in mind, or was it kind of evolving as things changed along the way? I love that question. And this is a passion topic of mine to, to help educate me more people about FI and FIRE. So a lot of people tend to get hang up on the the actual asset size that, you know, the, the that number that you need to have to retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't an interest of mine. Like I, that never really was a focus of mine. I didn't really care to have how much you know, money in my bank account or in my investment account you know, or the real estate portfolio. But what I focus religiously was on the cash flow I was getting on a monthly basis. So I had a very intentional goal to say, uh, and that was a goal I set in my early 20s, is I want to retire before I hit 30s. Nice. And okay. I, I just want to be done so I can, in terms of I want to have the freedom, right? So I always look at how much cash flow I'm bringing in. So I become obsessed about looking for all these different ways um, to potentially expand my streams of income. Like at one point, I think I counted, I have 18 different streams of income with some of them, you know, as high as bringing in, you know, $500,000 a month, actually more than that, uh, it was $2,000, $2,000 a month. And then some of them was only bringing in 50 bucks a month, right? But the crazy thing is people look at that and say, why did you work for that 50 bucks a month? I was like, that one 50 bucks a month, I can tell you I received that residual income for 10 years. And it was actually simple. So I'm happy to share that, right? It's it's a uh, it's a credit card uh, service, right? So basically, um, it's a it's a merchant account that I um, was able to introduce to my client, and then say, hey, if you use this service, right, um, it helps you sell your products online, and that's it. And I get a small, very small commission on the monthly basis um, from that 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 referral, and that's it. But it's completely passive, and I love that, right? So. Oh, I'm like, go ahead, go ahead, Chrissy, because I like, I no, no, it's okay. My head's spinning a little bit because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like super excited. I'm like, 18 streams of income. Know, this is amazing. <laughs> well, I wanted to kind of push on that a little bit. So yeah, if you're yeah. only counting on cash flow and you're not really looking at the asset side, uh, these some of the, the this cash flow will eventually dry up. Like you said, one went for um, 10 years. But h- how do you? handle that because as you get older and you're less able to maybe rustle up new income how are you going to account for that that's a great question so what i did is and that's how i ended up getting into real estate okay was because i have that fear that some of these cash flow would dry up i need something that will be longer term so i look at the lifetime value of a specific cash flow source right some of them might only just be two years some of them might be 10 years like mm-hmm. that particular mm-hmm. case um, so then i need to gradually replace those sources so then i take everything that i get so my first goal was this right i need to get enough cash flow on a monthly basis to replace a regular income job that most people get so i set a number at about five thousand dollars because sixty thousand dollars you know can average canadian income Ish, a little lower in, in certain area, but that's, you know, a, an income that people could live, right? So that was my goal. So I want to get to that number. As soon as I hit that number, I realized, yeah, then I can actually quit what I'm doing, which was consulting. Then I free up all my time to be able to develop more cash flow generating mm. sources, right? And specifically, um, real estate was one of them because I, I want to be able to have a much stable, long-lasting cash flow. But as most people may be aware, and, and for those people that don't know, on, you know, listening to this episode, 
for real estate. Most people think it's great. It's awesome. You can make a lot of money. Correct. However, there's a saying in the industry, which is we're asset rich, but we're cash poor, right? Because most real estate properties really only generates about $100, $200. If you're doing really well, $300 cash flow per month. So in that case, you can't live off that. No. Right. So, so many people got so excited about real estate investing and say, yes, I love the vision. I want to do this. And I'm willing to quit my job and do this full time. And the first thing I said to them is, please, no. <laughs> Otherwise, your wife will leave you. <laughs> You'll be out on the street starving. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money. You can, right? Um, Maybe you can if reach you're five in the really U.S. <laughs> it's still tough. Like in the States, yeah. you know, people that do well really only get about $500, $600 a month in cash flow. Um, you still need quite a bit of portfolio to get to that point, right? So usually most people I've seen, it takes about two years time frame if you want to commit to doing real estate, you know, actively to scale up to a portfolio that you feel comfortable enough to say, hey, now I can transition out of my full-time job to do that. I've got a question. I mean, I guess we're into the we're into the real estate discussion. Do we want to st- st- pause and, and back up a little, Chrissy, or do you want me to get into the real estate? I want to go back I, to the streams of income first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Let, I think we have time to revisit. Yeah, the I want to go back. Later. I want to go back there a little bit, just because I have a bunch of real estate questions that I'd like to get into. But so from the passive streams of income before you got to real estate, were you? You know, I think a lot of listeners out there are probably going, is he talking about like having a whole bunch of side hustles? Like, <laughs> you know, how do you come up with those ideas? I mean, yeah. I see the blog posts all the time, you know, like 10 great ideas for additional income or, you know, do this, do that. And I'm not, I'm not a really good side hustler. I'll admit it. Like I've thought about it. I'm like, why don't I buy a power washer and then like have some kid down the road, power wash people's driveways. <laughs> and, you know, there's different little business opportunities. What did you do? to come up with your passive income streams, how much front end work was there to get them started and how much of your time ongoing commiserate to the return? Like 18 of them sounds like a lot of work, but if it's a little bit of front end setup and then it's residual, like you, you mentioned the first one, how did you go about coming up with that? Did you have a formula? Did you just, because of your online skills, that kind of naturally led into a lot of online stuff? Um, yeah, just kind of highlight uh, some of those challenges. Yeah, I, I wish I actually had a formula because then I think I would have been, you know, I, I probably can tell you a different story. I would say, hey, I have a thousand, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, income streams now because I... What you said now actually made me think about that after this call or this uh, conversation, I'm going to go develop a formula because I actually realized what I've done. Um, but I'm happy to share that. So what I was doing, it was, I don't think it was intentional. It just happened by accident because I have this pursue, right? This was a goal I set that I wanted to generate all these extra stream of income. So the biggest thing I did was it was very different than most people pursuing side hustle because side hustles, the way I look at it is, if you are just trading time for money, you only have so much time, mm-hmm. right? So the only way that makes sense for me is I need to add income streams that I don't have to do a, spend a lot of time. Yep. So I became obsessive with optimizing everything I'm doing. So for example, the credit card thing, it wasn't my idea, right? It was a simple thing where I was actually consulting for clients that client asked me to say, hey, go find me a credit card provider that can handle online payments because we want to launch this store, right? So I'm like, oh, I researched it. And then naturally, you know, my brain started thinking, 
I wonder if they would do have some kind of partnership program. So I just, you know, call the company and say, hey, is there like a business development, you know, affiliate program that you guys offer? Connecting me with their business development manager. And we just start talking and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll set you up, right? And that's the, the start of that. And then that became a habit that I started realizing how many companies have a business development department, right? Or affiliate manager. Uh, they mm-hmm. might not even publish that on the website, but if you call them or you contact them, you know, they love to figure out some kind of deals with you, right? Yeah, so as then, a blogger, I, I take advantage whenever <laughs> it's there. Absolutely. Because, you know, a lot of times then you can also offer a discount to whoever you're helping or whoever you're referring. So it's a win-win for everybody. And that, that you hit a spot on. And that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. I would actually offer them more competitive rates because of my relationship yeah. with the company, mm-hmm. the, the, the company actually asked me, he's like, why are you giving them such a good rate? You could, you know, make more money. I was like, it's because of this. I want to earn residual income for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. I don't want them to switch supply, uh, uh, providers, right? Yeah. So yeah, I want to give them the best rate. So I actually negotiated on my client's behalf to push them on giving me uh-huh. the best rate. But then I just take a little bit of tiny markup, right? So then that gives them no reason because they I show them, you know, if you look around, right, this is the other, the rate that's posted mm-hmm. by all mm-hmm. the other competitors. This is a great company. And I'm not just recommending this, you know, based on my selfish interest. It's legitimately getting a good deal. Mm-hmm. And then on my end, I don't see anything wrong getting a little bit extra, um, you know, uh, Well, you're bonus still providing good value anyway I'm on providing top good of value. your commission. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I think there's a lot of opportunities that that we miss. And when I say me, we, it's you know myself included. You know, just specific to my industry, there's a lot of product that flows in and out. There's a lot of shipment of uh, parts and things like that. I mean, we physically use a vehicle to drive stuff up and down the West Coast, and you know, there's probably areas that could be done better, optimized. If I put some effort into finding out and going. You know, maybe there's ways that they can, the company can get a better value of something if I do a little bit of work and do some other negotiations. And I think that's really interesting. I'm not, I don't have that entrepreneurial skill set yet that I have developed to be able to go into that. But a lot of people are probably in a, a career or a nine to five that has some angle that you may never have looked at where you can participate in the sort of behind the scenes of how the business operates. You know, I mean, everybody's got an IT department probably, right? And is there something that you can do there or, you know, procurement and all these things? And that kind of sounds like what you're talking about, Eric. And it's spot on, right? So first thing you talked about, I want to say is it just, all it takes is just to ask, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times we are afraid to ask and the people that are succeeding are, you know, successful. They're the one that make the ask. They they go out, right? All the political, you know, successful um, candidate, they ask for donation, right? They ask. And for me, that's that's simple to just coming down to ask. And the second part is you're right, because exactly what I did is I went from just the marketing um, services, you know, that I potentially could become an affiliate to introduce my client. The next thing, natural thing was, well, other software, well, other things can I sell? So I ended up selling um, or reselling, I guess I should say that, um, a chat, uh, like a live chat service, right? So if you are a company that, you know, needs to provide customer service, for example, that people go to the website, they need to talk to your customer service, right? There are companies out there that provide these software that would be happy mm-hmm. to set you up as a referral partner and pay you residual income. Another company that, you know, a lot of people we know in Canada we're proud of, Shopify, 
right? Mm-hmm. Shopify has a program that anybody listening to this can go sign up today, right? Become an affiliate referral partner and promote Shopify. Yep. Right. And that's a great thing, easy thing to do, especially during this COVID time, right? If you are a little bit entrepreneurial, feel like, hey, I can help some people bring their businesses online. I already have a skill set. Now you simply say, let me become a partner with Shopify and I'm going to bring business to Shopify and I'm going to get an extra cut. And as long as these businesses stores are in business, you get a residual income forever. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, this is good. This is entrepreneurial stuff. We haven't talked about this enough, Chrissy. I know it's true. You know, it's a lot of a lot of a discussion focuses on our nine to five, where we're trading our time for money, of course. But uh, yeah, I think part of what I'm hearing too is that you got to put in a little bit of time and effort to get these things off the ground, get them started. Like you need to put in a little bit of effort to make mm-hmm. them work. And can I comment on this thought? When you talk about nine to five, a lot of people feel hopeless in terms of okay, I, I have this goal, right? This this. You know, Eric said about, okay, I want to, yeah, I want 18 residual income sources, like what you said, right? Now, now I made this public and then people felt like I can't do that because I have this nine to five. And I felt like that's a mentality um, challenge or issue, right? Because if you are a nine to five, you could easily start, we're looking at, you know, the job that you're working in, the software that you're currently using, right? And then start looking at potentially doing exactly the same thing as what I'm doing. Because really, in effect, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to add value, which is mm-hmm. a very entrepreneurial thing to do, right? If, if you can add value to people's business or people's operation, you can earn more income. And that's all I was doing is I went up just looking for all these different tools out there. I became obsessed with researching tools so then I can bring these tools to increase productivity to the companies that I was consulting for. Or even better yet, some of the companies I don't even consult for. It was just random things. I you know hear people talking online. I'll just send them a link and say, "Hey, check out the software. Here's a link." You know, and then full disclosure, I I'll get a little kickback if you sign up. Yeah. And some people do, <laughs> and yeah. that's you know why not, right? I'm helping people, and in effect, I get paid and compensated for that as well. And so that's a win-win for everybody. Hey, Chrissy, you know what we always forget to do? What's that? Leave room for our sponsor for this episode. All right, let's do that. (laughs) So on the note of affiliate and links, here we go. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, Money Mechanic, you use Passive, right? How do you like it? It's great. It's like my own personalized robo-advisor. I set it up one time, then Passive helps keep my portfolio balanced by securely connecting to Questrade. Wow, sounds like Passive saves you a lot of time. Yeah, no more spreadsheets. And Passive even has one-click purchasing which makes life so much easier. That sounds amazing. I also heard that Passive added a new goal feature to help DIY investors reach their investment targets. That's right. The goal feature is built right in and helps you stay on track with your investments. Chrissy, did you know that Passive is free for Quest Trade clients? Free is good, especially when it normally costs $99. How can our listeners get in on this offer? Just go to passive.com forward slash EFIC. That's passive with no e dot com forward slash EFIC. Okay, we're back. And I have one more question for Eric about uh, the not side hustles, but the passive income. You you say you don't have a formula yet, so I'm not going to put you on the spot if you don't have an answer. But what if someone, let's say a teacher, (laughs) it's like, how can a teacher create all these extra sources of income? Like I they can't even see past their job. And like you said, the nine to five, 
as a teacher, there's hardly any resources coming in. So it's not even really on on the job. You couldn't even really recommend a lot of vendors and um, get a f- flow going that way. And it may even not be allowed, you know, being um, a teacher who works for the union, you may not be allowed to generate extra income through the school. So what would you suggest to someone like that? How can they get started with thinking up ideas for this kind of passive income? Yeah, so the focus is not so much the passive income. Uh, I think that's when people get really hung up because then when they don't accomplish that goal, they get really disappointed, mm. right? The goal or the focus should be on how can I help people? How can I create mm. value? So then, for example, teachers have an amazing skill set in terms of could be just the subject that they teach, right? So as we're going into COVID, with, oh, she's going into COVID, we're coming out, thank goodness, right? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, please no more with this. Um, you know, but there's there's this complete transformation of online classroom that's happening. And for, mm-hmm. you know, f- I can just already think of an idea, which is, right, it's like if a, if a parent is really eager to make sure their kids get the best education and they might feel like their uh, teacher's not kind of communicating the way that the kids can understand, right, they will be out there looking for, could be chemistry, you know, better chemistry um, classes on their subject, right, to help mm-hmm. the kids learn the, the materials better, right? So if you are a really good chemistry teacher, put your materials together and then maybe create an online course, right? That could be a great way to add value to help people with that. Uh, and there's so many ways to, to promote that these days, right? You can have a few different of your uh, curriculum posted on YouTube to generate interest and then redirect them into your course. That could be a simple thing. You know, in terms of managing teenagers, you know, that is a, a tough, tough, tough crowd, right? Um, so if you have a skill set, right, you could potentially roll out some kind of, you know, courses or, you know, guide, right, ebook to mm-hmm. teach people, how, especially could be parents, right, how to get their family under control or more, you know, harmonized with their kids because it's just it's a tough age, uh, it's a tough demographic to, to deal with. Uh, if you're a younger teacher, such as elementary school teachers, same thing, right? It's like there's a different challenge that comes from that, uh, group of age, you can also look at that. So the biggest thing is look at what you can do, what your talents are. I, and I think that's something that I, I see a lot of people struggle with. And, and this is something that, you know, I will be actually introducing pretty soon down the road. It's a some kind of coaching service to help people really understanding their talent. I was going to say you should yeah. become a consultant or a coach because you're, yeah, you're so good at this. Thank you. Because a lot of people... And I have this saying, you know, that people look at their own story as ordinary because they're just living the story. Mm-hmm. But to many other people, their stories are actually extraordinary, right? So think about what you do. And this is just something that you keep doing and you start, you know, take, maybe take a little inventory, right? Just anytime you get praise on and say, hey, people said I'm really good at this. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something more to it, right? And then people get really uncomfortable charging or putting a product out there, especially that people like to give a lot, like teachers, you know, mm-hmm. a service-oriented type of personality. Maybe the way to shift that mindset is don't think about as what you're charging. Think about how you're helping, right? Because at the end of the day, if you your product, your services that you're putting out there can help accomplish the goal and the results that people are looking for, right, then you're doing great service. Mm-hmm. And then if you're really concerned about, you know, people not be able to pay for certain things, then offer a scholarship program, offer opportunities for people to apply to get it for free, right? So then you don't feel bad that, hey, I can't, you know, I, I don't want to charge people when people can't afford it. There's mm-hmm. a solution to any of these problems that that's stopping people from doing it. 
And at the end of the day, what I keep seeing is that's what stops people from actually making it happen versus doing it. It's, it's just a mindset shift. I think you do have the formula already. <laughs> I just realized that. I just yes. developed it on the air. This is great. <laughs> can I get a copy of this recording so I can put that in my course? <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, everything you've said. For a small time, residual amount, yeah. we will give you a recording. Deal. Deal. <laughs> yes. Everything you said just now, um, helping others and focusing on that and what you're good at and what you enjoy it all ties into also what they teach you about blogging, you know, or podcasting. If you love it and you your goal is to help people, the money will come. You know, it, it's not going to come quickly and it won't come right away. But if you keep the focus on being of value to people, then they will reward you because they want to. And it's not because you force them to or convince them to. They really want to help you in return for your the value you give to them. So I, I love everything you said. It all makes sense. And it can apply to so many different areas of, of life and different industries. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'm dying to ask. I've been waiting. <laughs> you went into real estate to increase your monthly cash flow. Your pa- Well, I don't want to say passive income because real estate's not all passive, but you wanted to generate long-term wealth and you did so through real estate. I just want to kind of go back to the beginning there and just say, did you physically save up enough to buy your own rental? Uh, did you become a working partner in a joint venture? What was the the beginning, the first property? Because a lot of us in this community are still at that stage where we're not sure the first one's the most elusive. We don't know the systems and everything in place. We're in high cost of living cities. We don't know how to make it work the first time. What was the first time for you for your real estate? Yeah, and and before I jump in, I'd like to clarify real quickly for you know the fire community. The big reason that got me in is to stabilize my my residual, right? Because right. I wasn't really like intentionally. I had no intention to build wealth. Uh, I was looking at this as a way to park wealth, okay. just because I you know I I didn't know much about real estate investing. So my very first property, I bought it when I was twenty five or twenty four around that range. And I had no idea what I was doing. So did you, <laughs> you saved up the down payment and you physically bought it yourself? Yeah. So okay. if I were to say that, I would be lying because, you know, this is going public. <laughs> so my mom, my parents did help me. With okay. Part well, of fair the, enough. Whatever. But yeah, it was yeah. your own property is what I'm getting at. You didn't partner with anybody. Uh, it, no. So it was no. my property. Yeah. And then I bought it for my brother to live in and rent from me. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was setting up as the first property. And were nice. you okay. renting or were you still living at home with your parents? Uh, like what was, where was your residence? Yeah, so I wasn't living there. That was for my brother and, and I was living, I was actually renting. Okay, yeah. interesting. So you were renting and you were going to buy to as an investment, not as I, not to live in, okay. I did that intentionally. Okay. Yeah, because I wanted to understand how investors think and how I can remove, I feel yeah. some kind of, you know, uh, not barriers, um, a separation, right? Mm-hmm. So that way I can say, hey, this is how managing a property and not living in the, uh, in the actual premise of the property feels like. Because huh. there's always that fear that you know, a lot of people have. It's like, oh, I can't see this. I can't, you know, can I just install yes. cameras all over the house, right? Like, <laughs> no, that's illegal. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> that's creepy too, <laughs> right? Uh, but there's that fear, right? But, yes. you know, yeah. I wanted to be able to overcome that fear because it's a mindset thing. Mm-hmm. And so I forced myself to say, no, I don't want to be in. 
And I'm, I'm sure there was also the other piece where you're Asian, and I'm sure it goes against Asian um, beliefs to rent instead of buy your own property, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> to this day, my mom's still like, why? Yeah. I'm still renting. Oh, are you? She's wow. like, what is wrong with you? I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's true. I, I have, yeah, you're yeah, throwing have, money away, right? It's ridiculous. Right? As, of this, you know, as of today, I have 20 doors now. And okay, this is, that was going to be my next ridiculous. question. Yeah, it's just okay. like, I, people are just like, why, do you, why are you, do you not have a home? I'm like, it's simple, <laughs> right? Because from a business standpoint, I cannot write off, correct myself, <laughs> there is a strategy called Smith Maneuver, and I'm sure um, you know talked about it in the past. Um, so if anybody's listening, go back to that episode. And, and that's a really powerful strategy. Um, but I did not know that before. Yeah. So clarifying that, right? So for me, I'm just like, I can't write off my interest. So then why would mm-hmm. I ever do that, right? I want to make sure, and then as you know, myself personally renting, it doesn't make sense. Uh, it doesn't matter to me um, because I actually operate a business out of where I rent as well. So that part of my rent, is, even that is a write-off, right? Nice. So jumping in again, because my, my question to you, it was gonna be exactly that. Here we are from your first rental at 25 that you bought yourself to achieving your cash flow goals and becoming technically by all you know definitions fire to now you mentioned 20 doors. Um, that's pretty impressive. And for listeners that aren't super real estate savvy, um, a door could be, you know, like maybe there's an upper and a lower unit in one house or a duplex. It refers to specific uh, rental door that, uh, that is a property. Mm-hmm. So Without going like super into detail of every property, how what does it look like to scale to, to that point? That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and talk about again, you know, my background is in computer science. Yeah. And I came from yeah. a background, my dad was a professor, he's a professor, he's retiring this year, right? He teaches mechanical engineering. And for people listening, it's like that that has nothing to do with construction, right? That like, yeah. that's further, further from the truth. Um, and it's just like nothing. I had no background. And then the property itself always intimidates me like yeah. i just I, I felt like I, I don't know how to be a tradesperson i want to learn but i did, couldn't figure this out um but that's exactly you know what we talked about earlier is the mentality i, I realized i put that in my head thinking i can't do this right mm. and i'm afraid of this i got intimidated by this so um what i did was first of the our first few projects i my first property was by myself and then you know i bought another property with my brother and pretty soon i just realized I can only do buy and hold just because that's the only thing I feel comfortable with, right? But anytime you want to deal with actual renovation stuff, I need to have a partner that really understand that. So I start partnering with people that have more hands-on, like they're tradespeople, they understand, you know, how to do renovations. And I just watch them, right? And watch them how they do things, figuring it out. And then every once in a while, you know, when there's small repair jobs on some of these properties, I call up a contractor and say, hey, I'd like you to come give me a quote on how to fix this with one condition. You're going to teach me how to do this. <laughs> I just want to learn, right? Yeah. And some of them just like look at me he's like, what? That's weird. Um, some guys just like, yeah, happy to teach you, you know, because, um, and trades people are awesome. They're, they're, I, I love, I love this industry. Um, and, you know, if anybody that's concerned about future of AI, right? Like taking outsourcing jobs, this is one industry that would never go away, mm-hmm. right? So that's another reason I wanted to learn because I, I wanted something to protect myself. So I picked up how to do tiling. I picked up how to do, you know, basic things, drywalling, paint, right? All these simple things. Started doing a little bit with the kitchen remodeling. And, and now, you know, I can do probably a third of the, of the reno now, right? The two thirds are still done by somebody else. And today I don't do these anymore. 
I have a team of people that take care of stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, your story is one where you've you've really scaled out, which is awesome. It doesn't have to be the end goal for people in the FI community that want to get into real estate. Uh, for myself personally, I'm actively trying to get into a rental situation, but I don't have goals to get to 10 doors or anything like that. I want to diversify away from the stock market because a lot of us have been putting socking away money into there. So I want some diversification. You get opportunities to make money in different ways in real estate, right? You get your mortgage pay down, you get appreciation, you could do forced appreciation, and hopefully you're getting a little bit of cash flow too, right? So they all kind of factor into different goals in the, in the FI journey. So now that you've got these 20 doors and you're fire, you must just like sit back and collect rent checks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, <laughs> I do do that. However, I will tell you that's my day to day, right? Like I, I started the day on a bunch of calls, uh, then um, hopping into a, a clubhouse uh, full of real estate investors. And then after that, I did three appraisals because um, uh, I'm currently refinancing a group of properties. And after that, I got another call talking to a potential um, somebody that's really interested to get into real estate investing and just don't know how, right? It's a, a friend of mine's sister. And another lady um, that's actually from Victoria, BC, uh, that would just hurt me from one of the, the real estate meetup groups that I presented and wanted to learn more about what I do and how, you know, what I'm doing in terms of scaling. Then now I'm talking to you, right? So. Yep. It's a very interesting life that I didn't expect. Like I, my goal to get to FI is to completely to check out, right? And I did the the fire thing. <laughs> like I, legitimately checked out. You know, didn't do anything really much for about uh, close to about six months. And I can tell you, the first three months was great. Like it was <laughs> the best thing ever. I I've never spent that much time to make breakfast in my life. <laughs> Like legitimately, I, I need to see if I can find that photo. It's it's epic. Like I spent about an hour and a half making this like buff like Vegas style buffet. <laughs> the whole table was full of different kind of food. <laughs> wow. And I'm just like, that was that was like right after I hit fire, right? I'm just fire. You know, just like hey, I'm done. I left the job. I'm not doing anything, right? I'm gonna live the lifestyle. And Amazing. then and how how after, old were you then? Uh, I think I was 29. So you hit your goal. Because you wanted to get there before 30. (laughs) Yes, I did. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Super cool. And then two months, three months later, I crashed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, I'm I'm single. I didn't have a a lot of family to, like, add value, contribute. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, man, I I didn't have any purpose in life, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I talked to a few people that fired. Um, It's a common thing in in, in the community yeah. Where if we didn't plan this out, right, it's not midlife crisis or, you know, a retirement crisis. This is a quarter life crisis, especially for people that hit it young, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, frick, what is wrong with me? You know, and I started looking into jobs and say, hey, maybe I should pick up something and in the tech field. Then I look at the requirements. I'm like, man, I left this industry for five years. I don't know half of the things they're asking, wow. right? Then it got more depressed thinking I'm like, I'm useless, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it was quite of a journey to like pull myself out and then trying to rediscover what I should do and what I should, you know, focus on. Mm-hmm. And and actually I discovered it through humanitarian work. Wow. Like I, I got into, uh, I'm type A personality. So I, I need, I need something, I need goal to just keep me focused. 
So I, I went really obsessed with um, like all in with humanitarian. Started with just went into the first country in Guatemala, you know, did work and then fell in love with it. And then fast track um, a year later, um, I got like recruited into their leadership program. And then another year and a half, you know, uh, from the very first expedition, I, I was leading these expeditions with people, you know, over, I think right now, over 700 people I have led um, and wow. you know, collectively raised like millions for the, the humanitarian organizations that we are uh, leading them for. That's amazing. And, and I love that, right? I was telling the yeah. story to some of these people on the call today that the biggest thing for me is once you're among the people that live off like less than a dollar a day, it, it changes your perspective. It changes your mm -hmm. priorities and goals in life, right? Yep. So for me now, I'm just extremely passionate for helping people to reach FI. The biggest thing is because if you don't reach FI, really, you can't really create much impact in the world, right? You can do a little bit here yeah. and there, but you're always trading your time for money, right? So you got to get to the point where you can start buying back time using some wealth that you have. And then, you know, this is the three layers of wealth concept, right? You start with phi, and then the next layer is, is impact, uh, which is what I was able to do with the humanitarian groups. And then the next layer is naturally, you know, a lot of billionaires talk about it's the legacy layer. Mm. And then this is where I'm, I'm working on now is I launched a legacy project to uh, help teach people use real estate. And I have a pretty ambitious goal to create 100 millionaires through real estate <sighs> so that they can actually go create more impact in the world. Wow. And that is a, a precursor I use to filter the right kind of people because I don't want just any kind of people to be joining us, right? We are a, a really group of very special people that are all um, a passion and serving. So then I believe that if I can successfully do this and serve these people, the world's going to be incredible because of the service that they're going to give. That's, I, I, I'm just uh, speechless <laughs> listening to your story. And I love it because so many critics of FI or FIRE, they say that, you know, you're just retiring to, to do nothing at such a young age and you're not going giving back to the world. But so many people in the community have, that have reached that milestone, they do give back and they, they give so much more value than when they were in their nine to five jobs because they're now passionate and this is something they really care about and they can do the work for free because they don't need the money. And that's where the real value comes in from your human capital can now go to help others instead of making money for yourself because you're supported. You know, you've, you set up these streams of income or, or your nest egg to generate income for you and you're you're financially okay so now you can give back absolutely and and that's uh that's probably the biggest misconception of a fire right because mm -hmm. and i'm not going to talk about the different personalities out there but everybody has different motivation to get into you know fire to to reach that fire goal um, i mean it's crazy right now you know i'm part of some of the groups that's like fat fire and then <laughs> there's um talks of you know ultra fat fire because it's not even like like obese fire is what they call it now. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh, like how, how high are you guys going to go? Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine, right? Like that's, you know, there's a space for everybody. But my yep. biggest belief is at the end of a day, right? It's like, what is, wh why are we here, right? And um, we can't do anything with the money that we left behind. So if we are not going to take advantage of that, like let's put us to something good, right? And, and I love the community that's created, um, the curriculum that's been developed to teach the uh, the young kids, you know, with the fire concept, right? I'm just blown away because, like I said, like I did this all by myself. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, you know, I did this, right? It, I felt lonely through the journey. Yep. And now I go to fi- like fire meetups, you know, like regularly. I, I try to attend all these events I can because this is my peeps, right? This is yep. a, a group of people that is super cool, super awesome. And, you know, I'll, I'll do a shout out to our last uh, group camping activities that we were just, you know, hanging out and then having campfire talking about the price of butter. Like, <laughs> well, other camping groups will talk about stuff like that, right? It's just, it's awesome. Was it's that fun. organized by Jolie? Uh, it's actually by um, Aaron. And okay. Jolie was part of that. Yeah. Okay. I saw I saw pictures and I heard about that camping trip. It sounded fun. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah, we didn't mention in the beginning, but you are in Alberta for listeners. So you are a, a fellow Canadian along with the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I've heard some of this story before, but it kind of it's it's an awesome story, Eric. And uh, absolute kudos to you for for that mindset and and helping the rest of us to see that that's kind of where we may not know what our purpose or passion is once we reach FI. Like a lot of people don't know yet what it's going to be, and it's okay. It takes time to figure that out, but uh, it's it's pretty cool to hear your story and that. The, the things that you've done since you achieved fire and that you're happy and busy choosing how you spend your time and, and making an impact with it. I think that's really, really cool. So congrats on that. And great yeah, to have you on the you. show. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad to finally met, meet you. Money Mechanic has been saying great things about you. I'm like, okay, I got to meet this guy. He sounds so dynamic and there's a lot going on. He's got a lot of balls in the air, but you're giving so much value back to other people right now. It's, it's amazing that you're able to do that. Thank you. And I'll, and I'll just add this to, you know, to people that are interested in continue to like learn more or want to like potentially look at real estate as an opportunity as part of their um, wealth building strategy, because I'm very passionate about this. And then there's a lot multiple value reasons, um, especially, you know, the financial market right now is a little bit messed up, in my opinion, because of the way, you know, massive amount of money is being printed into the into the the system uh, and i really am passionate helping people protect their wealth so if anybody's interested if it's okay with you guys i'd love Absolutely. to share my website with the, the audience yep. here yes yeah, so the website is 100 so 100 dot properties um, and that's where um, right now you know it's not quite live yet we'll be live in a few weeks and we will be publishing more of these things and then you know you're welcome to join our journey even if you feel like this is something that you you resonate with, you're invited to to join our tribe because we want to bring more like-minded people to to go, reach by, create impact, and leave a legacy behind. Very cool. Yeah. Yay for we'll, that. Thank you, yeah, Eric. We'll be looking out for that. And I've got to write that down because I don't think you told me that last time we talked. So it's we'll put yeah, it up there. That's good. To, Save some room. It's only going to be 99 because there might be one or two here. Maybe 98. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're welcome you might, to join. You might have to add a zero to that once uh, all, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. all the listeners hear this. They're like, what? Only 100 spots. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thanks again, Eric, for joining us on Explorify Canada. Chrissy, always a pleasure to have an interesting, and uh, this one was inspiring. I was inspired today. Me too. I 
thought that we were going to talk about real estate. And I kind of <laughs> did too, but it, yeah. it was kind of a side part. There yeah, might be a part yeah. two because there there might be part two because I do want to go into like joint venture structures and how Eric sort of worked through all that and whether you're a money partner or the working partner. And there's there's kind of a lot of mechanics to it there. And I probably don't want to go too deep because that's part of his 100 project. But uh, but there's a lot more on that real estate side of it. But I'm glad we didn't just focus on that because there's always way too much sort of real estate talk. And I think the overview, yeah. the, whole, the whole journey and his path to fire and, and where he is now is is pretty cool because we don't hear a lot of the post-fire discussion very often. Mm-hmm. As well as the mindset piece. You know, how does mm-hmm. someone who's so successful get to where they, they are, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. It's something that you built over time. And it's nice that you took the time to go through your story with us because there's a lot of actionable info there for people to take for their own situations. Even for me, you know, I, I was inspired by a lot of what you said. So thank thank you so much for sharing. Great being here with you guys. And it's a blast. I always <laughs> love talking to people that understand I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I think so many of us can resonate with that and go, Oh, yeah, the FI community. I think I might have found my people eventually. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally how I felt. I was like, where have you guys been yeah. my entire life? <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, we'll uh, probably look forward to having you uh, on the show again, Eric. And for now, signing off, uh, Explorify Canada. See you guys soon. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. Leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Tell your friends and family about us or use our referral links at explorefycanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at explorefycanada.ca. You can also find us on our other websites, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Our show is edited and mixed by Max Desmarais at Fix Audio. That's F-I-X-A-U-D dot I-O. Episode transcripts were created in otter.ai.